Jack, man. How's it going? Welcome to the show. Jordan, bro. Thank you for having me. Really, really excited, man. Really excited. How you doing, man? How's your morning? I'm doing great. We were, uh, I was uh, cracking up. We were just talking uh, a minute before I hit record here that uh, I sent you my calendar and I was like, hey, dude, like just go ahead, slot yourself in anywhere. You know, I knew there's a huge time difference here in Australia. And, and I was like, just thinking, you know, I use Calendly. So I was like, it's going to show you all times in your time zone. So I thought, okay, easiest thing is just give him that link and see if there's something that just matches up. And you were like, yeah, great. Found a spot. No problem. And I was like, okay, cool. So I, I quickly glanced at what time you picked. And I thought for sure it would be that my earliest time was 8 a.m. And it turns out that my, like that podcast link is like basically just shows my entire calendar. And you picked a time that was 7 a.m., which is hysterical because I'm up already. It's no problem. But I did not know that until like, 11 p.m. last night um and then i thought like this time must suck for you and then i like googled the australia time difference so like what time it's 7 a.m for me which is like kind of is not the best time to podcast i guess but it's got to be worse for you it's what time is it there yeah well, it's uh it's 10 p.m here so but it's better than when i looked at the calendar at first i was like i was looking at the time so it's come up in australian time i saw 3 a.m 3 30 a.m and 4 a.m and i was like nah those <laughs> it, those like, would have been the earliest like, times those would have been the early yeah, times. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, and then I scrolled down a bit. I was like, okay, yeah, sweet. It's like 10 or 11 p.m. I can do that. I can deal with that. Like, you know, um, I'm sure we'll get on to like coaching and stuff in a bit. But being an online coach, you know, you get to set your bedtime a little bit later if you want to. Sure. So a sure. uh, little, little better. <laughs> yeah. Have you done a, Have you done any podcasts in, uh, with people in America or just in Australia? Nah, man, you're the first one. Um, pop in the American cherry. Um, yeah, yeah. Mostly just Australians. Um, so yeah, but I'm looking forward to this, man. I've listened to a few of your episodes before in preparation. So yeah, man, I'm really keen. Cool. That's awesome. And you, you, you asked me before we started, you're like, uh, can I swear? Um, not only can you swear, I encourage you to swear. And I also encourage you to use like purely Australian slang. And then I'll put like some form of like uh, some form of dictionary, like er Australian urban dictionary for my <laughs> listeners. So they understand what the fuck you're talking about. We watched uh, it's not, I should not have started the sentence, but I, I've started it. So I will keep going. We watched, uh, I think a season of love Island with Australians <clears throat> at some point, And I literally was just like looking at Jenna. I'm like, what the fuck are they talking about? I'm like, what the fuck does this even mean? I'm like, first of all, one, I don't know what any of this means. And two, we need to start, incorporating some of this lingo immediately. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, well, I'm the worst mix because I was born in the UK and then moved to Australia when I was seven years old. So I've got the UK slang and the Aussie slang. So I can just make no sense in two different accents, basically, if I want to. Yeah, that's like, awesome. Um, so, um, so yeah, if you need like a few like little pop-ups and stuff throughout the episode and everything, just kind of like, cool. yeah. Yeah, definitely little, put, little, put what in the, the show does that mean? Yeah, I, yeah, I'm yeah, just, uh, yeah, exactly. I always joke around that like... Um, I look at your content. You have great content. It's like really, I like to start the podcast. Usually I would have done it by now, but I like to start a podcast with actually telling my listeners why I wanted to have you on. Like they know me and they kind of know what my podcast is about. So like, why, who's this dude? You'll tell us who this dude is in a second, but I'm going to give you a little intro. It's like as a technique, as a technique nerd myself, you have like by far some of the best, most simplified, most accessible content, which is a good thing because it can get quickly. Not that it can become out of hand complicated. Um, and so it's also like a little bit of an unfair like advantage with this like fire accent. And so I'm considering like looking in final cut to see if there's like a, an Australian plugin that I can just like lay over the, 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 I'm like talking to my producer, the guy who produces the podcast. I'm like, Hey, can I, uh, what can we do about this accent situation? turns out not anything. So unfortunate, <laughs> but yeah, that's why I wanted to have you on your content. Super great. Like your, your accounts blowing up. And for good reason, I think that there's a, um, a good, 
I was going to say niche, but that's a term I fucking hate, but there's like a good uh, yeah. spot for people who can digest complex information and kind of spit it out in the way that you, and uh, similar to like uh, the vibe that I get from like the Carol's page and you guys know them or you know them. And so I'm not surprised, frankly, I think that you're, you're coming from that, you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree there. Yeah. Yeah. No, firstly, thanks, man. I appreciate that a lot. Um, but yeah, like that's a, that's a big thing for me is obviously, you know, you've done all the N1 courses and all that. I think, you know, you were lucky enough to go to one of the in-person practicals. Am I right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, I've obviously done a few of their courses. Um, but for me, a lot of my background comes from, you know, yeah, like my in-person coaching with, with Mark one-to-one for the last two years, Mark Carroll, um, you know, just started working as well with Glenn Carroll too. So working as part of Atlas coaching. Um, so yeah, for me, a big part of it is yeah, taking the, the more complex things and taking that biomechanics stuff. I do love it. I do love the whole idea of being able to move really well and kind of lining things up and having that kind of nerding out about things, but yeah, making it digestible for, you know, the average gym goer, um, you know, so for me, like I always tell people my favorite client is still my mom. Um, you know, she's my day one client. I've trained her two to three times a week ever since I started as a PT. And for me, it was always a case of, I want to be able to take these concepts and be able to explain them in a way that my mom understands. And, you know, she was always kind of like my initial client avatar, if you will, um, you know, being able to go into the gym with her and, you know, get her doing certain exercises and, you know, explain to her what a resistance profile is and explain to her, like, why are we pausing here? Why are we doing the quarter up here? Why does it make no sense that your arms up at this angle, you know, like, so yeah, always wanted to be able to explain things in more simplified manners. And you're right. Like, I think, um, spending a lot of time learning from the carols, especially has been really good for that because, you know, Mark especially is so good at, you know, he's incredible at it. He just takes these things that are really high level and he's just like, yeah, here you go. And everyone's just like, well, Okay. Yeah. Sweet. <laughs> so yeah, it's been really helpful. Yeah. That's, uh, I trained my mom when I was an in-person PT for like two or three years, like two or three times a week. Um, total side tangent. It was like one of the, like in those two or three years, like it was such a great thing for me and my mom, like as our relationship, like I spent, got to spend so much quality time yeah. with my mom. I absolutely loved training her. She's a super, super duper strong. And, uh, it's funny. It's like, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm obviously a guy and, uh, you assume that you get like whatever, like, I don't know, you're, I think that this doesn't make any intellectual sense, but people are like, oh, you get your like, dude, your genetics from like your dad, let's say. But like my mom, when she started lifting was like a, not a hyper responder, but out of nowhere was like super duper jacked and very strong. And her technique was really good. And I'm thinking to myself the whole time, like my dad was like an athlete and I'm like, I think I got my, you know, relatively quality genetics from you. I'm like, I'm looking at you responding to this and I'm like, holy crap, like you look amazing. She gained a ton of muscle and um, totally took to the hypertrophy style training and all that stuff. And so I love, that was a lot of good quality time. My mom, I'm sure same with you. And so it's been a nice experience doing that. Oh, absolutely, man. And yeah, same sort of thing. Like I used to go in and trade mom and I'd be like, your delts, your triceps, what the hell? I'd be like, they're bigger than mine. Yeah. <laughs> this is unfair. What's going on? But, awesome. uh, yeah. hundred percent. Like you get that, you know, it's nice to be able to spend time, especially like getting into my early mid twenties and kind of spending a lot more time away from home and everything, you know, getting to catch up with mom and also see her, you know, rep out like sets of 10 body weight pull-ups and all that sort of stuff. It's like, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah it's badass. Take us back a little yeah, bit. Tell, tell me a little bit more about Jack getting into the industry uh, as a person growing up, any of those things that might seem relevant to who you are today. 
Yeah, sure. So I was a bit of a late bloomer when it came to training. I'm not going to lie. Um, I'm almost 26 years old now. Um, you know, 26 going on 46 some days, but you know, um, but I actually didn't step foot in a gym properly until I was about 20 years old. So, um, one thing that I find Australia doesn't do enough of in school is we push sport a lot. So I was always playing cricket, always playing soccer. Um, you know, even had like a little stint of rugby when I was a kid and stuff, but, um, we don't push the kind of like getting in a gym for teenagers and, and younger guys, especially, um, it's very much kind of like you sort of wait until you're you know, 18 out of school. Whereas I know in the States, there's that massive kind of like, you know, um, high school football culture and, you know, getting in the gym and, you know, being in and around the weight room and stuff when you're in high school, um, we really didn't have that. So it, yeah, it wasn't until I actually tore my ACL in my right leg playing cricket. Um, and then two years later, I did my patella tendon in my left knee um, playing soccer. And I was just kind of like, you know what, I need, I need something that doesn't require me to change directions because I'm obviously rubbish at that. Um, so yeah, I got into training um, when I was about 20 years old and I started off, you know, doing all the, the typical push-pull legs, like, you know, those kind of splits, watching guys like Christian Guzman on YouTube and all that sort of thing. Um, and I pretty much just kind of, yeah, I was studying music at the time and um, I play guitar and I was studying performance and everything. And I was, I was really loving it. I was really enjoying it, but I didn't really see it kind of going anywhere as a career. Um, I tried moving back to London for a little bit didn't work out. Um, but the main reason I got into music was I wanted to enrich people's lives. I wanted to do something that people could relate to that could make people feel better on like a day-to-day basis. Even if it was only for like three minutes a day, hearing a song basically. Um, and you know, I just started getting into training and I was kind of seeing how training was making me feel. And it was the closest thing to how I felt when I was listening to songs I loved and playing along to songs that I loved on my guitar. Um, and I sort of thought to myself, you know what, why not give this personal training thing a go? You know, this is making me feel really good. I wonder if I could make other people feel really good, um, by doing the exact same thing. And I was kind of like, well, you know, if I do that, it's no longer just for three minutes. It could be for 30 minutes or 45 minutes or three times a week, you know, sort of thing. Um, so I went and got my certs over here in Australia. It's a cert three and cert four in fitness. That's all you need. It took me six months straight out of that. I was into my first uh, commercial gym job and, you know, two days into that, I had my first PT session and, you know, I look back on it now with uh, cringing red and embarrassment with the, the program that was used. Uh, I think there was a giant set of sled push kettlebell swings and 500 meter on the rower or something like that. And uh, yeah, I think we've all been there, <laughs> but um, yeah, after that, you know, the, the rest is kind of history. I've always had a real like penchant for wanting to learn and wanting to educate. Um, I think I was about three months into my uh, PT life when I found Mark Carroll's initial guidebooks, like his gen pop and stuff. Um, started just reading everything that came out of him and clean health um, started being like, Oh, okay. There's actually education I can do with this as well. I don't just have to go in and be like, all right, 10 sets of bench press and do this or whatever, um, you know, then get out. Like, um, and I started looking into, you know, people like Lane Norton uh, for example, as well. And John Meadows on YouTube as well. And, you know, basically just kind of, went from got lucky basically early on that I was like, okay, there's some really smart people in this industry and I can learn a lot more than just, you know, bro splits and TRX rows and stuff like that. Yeah. You say lucky. And I, and that is, uh, <clears throat> I'm actually going to agree that there's like some element of that, like where, 
Um, you can go down, and, and I, I don't regret some of the paths that I went down, but I, I think you, where you were a late bloomer, I think you were, it sounds like you were an early bloomer with like the right, the right places and the right pieces of education and cut through a lot of, I'm sure you did dumb shit early on PT career. We all did, you know, this, the fucking kettlebell rower, you know, body weight box jump situation. Uh, we've all been there. And I remember, I remember some of the stuff that I used to preach, but the gym I was at was a huge, such a big echo chamber of bullshit that it, it, it was before I was deep into the online space and I had other like slightly more educated, more probably, you know, all things considered more correct information coming into my brain. And it was just this echo chamber of nonsense. And I was stuck there mentally. And I think getting so stuck there, like did like stunt my intellectual growth in that way. But it also, when that time came, when I like blossomed, let's say, until like finding out some of this more information, definitely felt um, in like just invigorated and excited to make up for lost time almost. Like I, I just remember that time being more dedicated to learning and reading and podcasts and courses and going here and spending money on self-improvement um, because I was just like, holy shit, you spent the last five years in this bubble of bullshit um, and very grateful for that. And just like think that every trainer, coach, and even the regular person listening to this is gonna one day like feel like they've been enlightened at some point. I've had people reach out and they're like, oh my God, I, I was spinning my wheels for the last 20 years or something. It's like, it doesn't matter as long as you, like some of that stuff is necessary. Like, do you feel like you look back on that? Like you said the word cringe. Like I look back on that, I cringe like crazy with some of the diet stuff that I used to say and prescribe. But I also think that that's part of the journey. Like there's nobody, like it's rare someone's like pops out of the womb and like it becomes Lane's understudy or something like that. Like you feel like you're like, you don't look back on that time like and think, okay, you know, I was, you know, like you look back on it almost as like a necessary evil. 100% man. Like I think it's, it's like any avenue in life, right? Like you've got to, you got to make mistakes to get better. You know, if you're constantly thinking that everything you do is, you know, so amazing and you come straight into PT and you just think, all right, sun's shining out of my asshole. Like I'm just, you know, absolutely like crushing this. But like you look back on the programs 10 years later and you're like, oh, oh dear sort of thing. Like that's how you want it to be, right? Like you want to still be confident in what you're doing, you know, because I think like the average life span of a PT is something like 12 months here in Australia. Like it's not very long. So you want to still be confident in what you're doing, but you know, you do have to make mistakes to learn. And I, I think it's just being open-minded when somebody tells you, Hey, like you could have done that better or here's like a different way. And I mean, you see it on social media all the time, but you probably get it in your comment section all the time. Like I know I do people being like, Oh, but it's been done like this for 20 years. So it's got to be right. Sort of thing. And it's like, well, that could just mean it's been done ineffectively for 20 years, you know, like it's, um, so I think, yeah, you have to be able to make mistakes and learn from them. And yeah, you're right. You have to be able to look back sometimes and just laugh, you know, you have to kind of be able to be like, ah, you know, like I did do that. That's kind of funny, but I don't do that now. So totally. Yeah. I think there's some element of looking back on a program you made 12 months ago and being like, Oh boy, I would have done this, this, and this differently. And I think if you look oh, at yeah. it from a positive, I want to improve mindset, it's a lot better than like a, Oh my God, I sucked. I was, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. And it becomes a negative thing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like it's just, it's yeah. Like you said, you know, you, you always know a level of something at the time and it's always about kind of being like, okay, I'm here now and in 12 months, 24 months, 36 months, where do I want to be? Like, you know, do, do I want to be able to look back on this and go, you know, this wasn't terrible. Of course it wasn't, but it wasn't the best. I could have done a little bit better. Of course you do. You want to always be having that progression and you know, you just don't want things to get stale, I guess. Yeah. So let's move into this first, first topic here. I personally have 
started my online coaching journey doing a lot of one-on-one coaching and I was, I go, my, my one-on-one coaching tends to be on the spectrum of like, I want to charge more because I want to give more. So mine was also very, always very immersive. I do a lot of Zooming with clients. I'll, I am open to text message discussions. And so very accessible, a lot of communication. And that was really great for me. I, I mean, that was what we would say like very deep. I went very deep on that. And I was able to have like Zoom one-on-one co- clients um, and, you know, screen share and go over your form video and draw angles. And and I love that. I mean, that was like, I, I still do love that. I still do that. Um, but, and that's always been great because I've been able to have some of these conversations about pursuing like opt- more optimal technique and, and kind of adding some context around some of the stuff that I was saying. And then I started a, a group program, which I absolutely love. And it's so much fun. I'm so amazed with everyone in there, but it, it now limited my ability to have those super in-depth conversations. And I'll get to the question in a second, I promise. But um, I was starting to get people who would send form videos and form videos. And that's one of the things that I offer in the group program. I'll 100% answer everybody's form video, but it was difficult to also sometimes add the context of how important it is the critique that I'm giving. Like, and so if I'm giving a critique, like just understanding where this critique falls in the hierarchy of what's important, where if I'm asking you to move the cable down one click so that we can more optimally hit the iliac lat, let's say, you know, like where does that rank in the, in the, in the hierarchy of importance and how close are you to already what is really, really great? And, and, you know, is this a make or break thing? So what my question to you is I've been on a bit of a Hey, I was going to say tirade, but probably not that serious. But like this idea of like, don't let the pursuit of perfect techniques stop you from enjoying the process. And I'm just going to stop there. I'm just asking you what you think about that. And and just from somebody who almost exclusively talks, you know, uh, exercise technique and, and, and biomechanics and exercise selection, execution and stuff like that. Do you find that you're having that discussion sometimes as well, even while teaching people how to optimize technique? Yeah, 100%, man. I think that's a really good point to raise because I think, um, so from my standpoint, really, what I try to look at is I try and kind of take the pursuit of quote unquote perfect technique because let's be real, that's going to look slightly different for everyone. Um, And I try to make that a part of enjoying the process. So what I try and coach with clients is rather than kind of saying, look, I'm going to be this form Nazi and I'm just going to ride you like constantly for the next six weeks until you get it right just kind of annoy the hell out of you and stuff. I'm kind of like, you know, trying to frame it in a way whereby you're taking RDL, for example, like, you know, I know you've talked on your profile before about RDL being like one of those lifts where you look at once you just kind of execute it perfectly that first time, you just kind of like, yeah, that's a work of art sort of thing. Right. And I agree. Like it's one of those things and I, I try and frame my client's mindset to be, that's what they want. Okay. So like when they're training in the gym, it's all pushing towards whatever result they want. So, you know, if they're trying to get stronger, if they're trying to get leaner, if they're trying to put on muscle mass, whatever they're training for, that training is like supplementing that. But when they're in the gym, that number one like goal of the process is to be able to nail that set. So, you know, if they're going into their set of RDL, you know, I want that knee position to be like perfect. I want that hip position to be perfect. I want the chin to be slightly tucked. I don't want to see like craning head. I don't want to see anterior pelvic tilt, you know, and I want them to be able to record their sets, which, you know, is again, something I also encourage heavily um, and be able to look at it and go like, damn, I'm proud of that set. Like, wow, that's a really good set. Um, And also be able to look back on like six weeks ago and go, Whoa, I improved. And I also added, you know, like 20 kilos to my lift as well, you know? So I like to try and immerse the two into one. Um, but I do agree with the sentiment that, you know, sometimes like the pursuit of again, quote unquote, perfect technique 
gets taken too far. It does get taken too far. And, you know, as much as we talk about what's optimal on social media all the time, um, it's probably become a bit of a buzzword um, in a way. And I do think that sometimes, you know, if someone's technique is five or 10% off, but A, they're not going to get hurt, which is the main thing. And B, they're still doing enough to really quantify getting like a good result. Then, you know, if they're enjoying that and they feel good about that, then I'm going to still big them up about that. Yeah, I agree. I think that one of the things that I want to let permeate and teach my group is this, you know, a lot of people take pride in how much weight they lift, how many reps they got, um, you know, and, and then they, they take pride comparing it to others. And I want to take a lot of that, like where people generate pride from and their feeling of how well they're doing. And I want to put it more towards like paying homage to the movement, respecting the movement, like respecting doing it well. And I'd rather see people uh, take less emotional like pleasure away from the actual just net number of weight that like pounds and reps they're doing which by the way is super cool it's cool to be strong you're allowed to want to be strong you hit a pr that's Absolutely. awesome i'm cool with all that but i want a technique pr to be as cool as like a weight pr if not cooler because i do think that it's it almost precedes you know this this like i'd rather you first nail this technique if i say nail it that is kind of what we're talking about here when i say nail it i mean get it to a place where it's safe and effective where you're going to get the result you want and you're not going to hurt yourself. And then from there, we can tinker. And I love the example that you said with the RDL. I think about head position in an RDL as being something that we talk about a lot. I put that in air quotes in comparison to how important it is. Like your head position, you could be in a ton of cervical extension. You could have your head all the way up. And that by itself is not dangerous, has no negative effect on the movement whatsoever. It just makes anterior pelvic tilt, it just makes lumbar hyperextension more likely when you do cervical extension. So when you have your head straight up and you're looking at the ceiling, it makes that anterior pelvic tilt, that hyperextension, what's going on kind of down the chain, it makes that more likely. And that can matter. And so if I, it's like, if I'm commenting on somebody's technique and I look at their head position and it's their head is straight up, let's say it's totally up there looking at the ceiling. But then I look down from there and I'm like, okay, what's going on in their thoracic part of their back, the lumbar part of their back, their hips are going back, the knee position's good, depth is good, everything else is good. That is not a dangerous RDL. You're gonna get the same results, totally fine. I'll still probably tell you, hey, smidge of a chin tuck is probably a good idea. But like, we wanna just keep that in context of like your RDL is safe, it's effective. This technique adjustment I'm telling you is not gonna take it from unsafe to safe. It's not gonna take it from ineffective to effective. It's just maybe going to be the thing that takes us from like 99% to 100%. And as we load heavier, maybe there's you know a technique breakdown, this will help prevent. And so it's like, here I am giving all this context. And I just feel like that sometimes can get so lost in a Instagram post that will do way better if I put a big fucking red X on it and a big green check on it. And I say, don't do this, do this, stop doing this. And you and I both do that. I'm not like picking on either of us. We both do it. But I think, I think we both also do a good job of adding the context of how important is this? This idea of how important is this thing I'm telling you needs to be talked about because there's only so many things that we can mentally focus on. And if you get people like with this big, like losing the forest for the trees sort of situation, um, it's just important with every, Thing that we tell people to do there's an attached like where does this fall in the pyramid you know yeah 100 percent, man and you know it's at the end of the day too i think that's the distinguishing feature between social media and coaching right is that with social media it's not sexy to say that there's gray area you know it doesn't people don't like to hear well 
it could be this, but it could be that, but it also could be neither, but it could be both, you know, whereas coaching, you know, you, you generally get to sit down with someone and have a conversation, whether it be Zoom, whether it be face-to-face, whether it be a Loom video, whether it be a WhatsApp, whatever you use, and you get to be like, look, well, you know, if it was me, I'd be looking to change this perhaps, but at the same time, if it's not causing any pain and the fact that, you know, your glutes are growing and, you know, all of this is happening and everything, um, who am I to say correct it? you know, sort of thing. Um, obviously, like you said, if you are having this whole kinetic chain starts to get thrown out by one cue, then obviously you want to fix that. Of course you do. And that's where, yeah, Instagram with the big red X and the big green tick and everything comes great for, in. Great but, for engagement. <laughs> exactly. We want those saves. We want yeah. those shares. Like yeah. get them up for me, get that algorithm going. But, you know, with coaching, it is always quite a gray area. And as we, as I said before, it's very much like everyone's going to be slightly different. Um, it's the old like spinal flexion in a deadlift argument, really isn't it? It's like, you know, what quantifies dangerous spinal flexion in a deadlift? Ask a hundred different coaches, you probably get a hundred different answers. Um, but at the end of the day, they've probably all coached someone to a very, very impressive deadlift at some point in, in their career. So um, yeah, I think if people start kind of just, you know, taking the main things that you want to look at, and that's where social media is good. You can give the three kind of main cues that you would give for a lift. You go, you know, these are my three best cues for a successful RDL and, you know, it, 95% of people are going to be happy with that. And they're going to look really good. And they're going to get it sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I definitely think that um, there is more gray area than we like to admit with things on social media, but you know, it's at the end of the day, as long as people are getting the benefit from it, then I'm always happy to do the, you know, the big red X's and yeah. the green ticks and whatever works. Totally. Right. Sometimes you got to give people what they want to, so you can give them what they need. And so there's some element of that. And I also laugh super hard with the, I looked back, so I've done, we've all done an RDL post where we uh, have put like a, a curve. We've put one person on the left who's in neutral and one person who's like in anterior pelvic tilt or lumbar hyperextension and they have their head up um, and we draw a straight yeah. line on one of them and we draw this big curved line on the other one, this like big curved line this that would signify way too much extension in the, in the spine. And there was a post recently that this person did that and I was just like for one second looked at the post that was like had this big curve drawn on it. And I like mentally blocked out that curve. And I was like, this person's RDL is beautiful. It is not curved like this, like this little line is drawn. I'm like neutral, neutral spine in, in air quotes. Neutral is a range. Neutral is not like a, this one specific point. Like, like you said, the, the whole like spinal flexion thing. I just thought that was funny. And I looked back at my old RDL post where I fucking did the same thing, drew this curved line. And I was like, am I actually in hyperextension or did I just draw this curve to like remind people not to make it look like this? Um, and I just found that funny. My question to you is, and this could be, and I was thinking about it, this could be you, the person that I'm asking. It could be you back in the day. Like, do you find that people who find you, your page, they find biomechanics in big air quotes, they find this maybe N1-driven uh, pursuit of optimizing technique, and they really latch onto it because they want, maybe it's their type A personality, maybe it's just like perfectionist mindset. Um, and it ends up being a net negative, at least in the short term, because they're, they're, they immediately go from thinking they were doing things well to thinking they're not doing things well unless they're doing it perfectly, where they're like, you know, um, their elbow path for a rear delt is five degrees off. And all of a sudden, it takes some of the fun out of it, actually. Have you experienced some people that, like, need to be reminded, hey, your, your technique is really good. Don't, you know, let it get you down until it's perfect. We need to kind of enjoy that process. Have you experienced that? Absolutely. I mean, what's the first thing that we do when we learn something new? 
We go straight to the gym and we're like, I'm going to try that. I want to do that. I want to do that. I'm going to put that in programs. I'm going to put it in my program. I'm going to do this in everyone's program. And it's just kind of like, you know, I, um, yeah, I, I actually did that myself last year. Like after the, after I'd done the biomechanics course by Ed one, um, I was kind of like, Whoa, there's all these cool different things that I'd never thought about before. Um, and I remember like in a specific check-in with Mark and I messaged him, I was like, man, like, you know, can we do this? Can we do that? Can we do this? Can we? And he was just like, why <laughs> you know he was like you know if you can give me a good reason to do it he was like go for it and obviously you know mark's like done all the send one stuff as well he's you know knows casting very well but he was like you know why do you need to change this like why do you want to suddenly incorporate all of these exercises you know why do you want to suddenly like just rewrite the entire copy book of what we've been doing for the last six months just because you learned something new he was like you know for example, all the lat stuff, he was like, yeah, hundred percent. We can do an iliac lat pull down. He's like, you know, I want you to start doing that anyway. Let's bring up your lower lats, you know? Um, but why do we have to train all three divisions of the lat in one session when I've got you on a rotating split that only has you training back once every six days? He's like, I'd rather we covered the entire back because there are other muscles in the back, you know? And um, I think sometimes we get caught up on these like, you know, fancy variations and, you know, wanting to train all the different fibers because you learn all this different stuff and you're kind of like, I've got to, you know, I've got to do my glute work has to have, have to have two shortened movements and then two lengthened movements because I've got to have the upper fibers of the glute max and the lower fibers of the glute max. And I've got to get all my tempos to work with that. And I've got to balance out time under. And it's like, you know, all of this stuff is really good to know, but like it just becomes this massive clusterfuck when you're trying to use it all at once. And I think, um, yeah, I get a lot of people coming to my page and being like, can you do this? Can you do that? Can you do this? Can you do that? And I'm like, yeah, you can, but like have a reason for it. You know, for example, someone came to my page the other day and I posted about face pulls not being a good rear delt exercise. I answered a question in a Q&A and someone automatically messaged me and went, okay, so we don't ever do face pulls. And I was like, well, if rear delts are the goal, maybe not, maybe do a rear delt row. But if you want upper back work, if you need external rotation work, if your shoulders are pretty fucked up and you need to work on shoulder health, then Yes, you can do a face pull. Um, you can do it from multiple different angles for different things if you'd like. You know, it's um, or like <laughs> I did one on kettlebell swings the other day as well, and I was like, this isn't a good hypertrophy movement. But then people hear that and they're like, that means it's not a good movement at all. And it's like, well, you know, you, you can use that for football players or for someone who needs to develop explosive power or somebody who wants to, you know, suddenly like be swinging a, a heavy kettlebell and then deload that position to then bound further by dropping the kettlebell and go straight into a broad jump. Like, you know, it's just cause it's not a good hypertrophy exercise doesn't mean it's not a good exercise. Yeah. So I think, um, yeah, I get a lot of, it's a very long winded way of saying, I agree with you. Like, I think a lot of people kind of do come to pages like yours, mine, um, and they kind of see terms and they're like, okay, it's not a good exercise for this. So it can't be a good exercise at all. Or they think, oh, it's a good exercise for this. So I'm just going to throw it in mindlessly with all the other stuff that I've got without realizing there's always got to be context and there's always got to be a bigger picture behind everything. You can't just go, I like that. I'm putting that in there that's going to work sort of thing. Cause it, it doesn't always it might yeah. do sometimes, but it doesn't always totally. It could be, it could be overwhelming at first and it could be overwhelming from an excitement standpoint. Like you were, and you're like, Hey Mark, we got to put all the shit in. And then Mark's like, well, well, yeah. why? And your reason probably would have been mostly just academically wanting to like practice it, but which is a fair reason, but like physiologically, maybe not throwing all of it at once. One, one thing that cr yeah. has cracked me up lately is just like, 
just generally the pendulum swing in this industry is just like, it's very fun to watch. Everything sw swings all the way to one side, swings to the other side. And when Kaz created, let's say the, the you know, his Kaz glue bridge, uh, it swung and is still swung all the way in the direction of this is God's gift to earth. If you don't glute bridge, you will not gain muscle. Um, your glutes will never grow. And then it goes even deeper than that. And I'm just gonna put one little example. It's like, I have a, in my group, you know, we do, we've done glute bridges quite a bit. It's like primarily a female program. Everyone's like, oh, I got to do glute bridge, got to do glute bridges. And, you know, I had like somebody message me. It was like, hey, you know, my glute bridge, I, I got my technique critiqued, you know, some something, somebody said this to do this. And I was like, yeah, totally. That That's cool. That will inch your technique smidge closer to optimal, let's say. But it is, if we look at the top like five things you need to do for the glute bridge that are gonna get you 99% of the benefit, you're doing all of those. And so just, that's okay that you're gonna take this critique and you're gonna work on it, but just know that like you're in a neutral spine, you're hinging, your feet are in a good position, shins are vertical, you're not going too deep, you're not being explosive, you're pausing the top, your your core, your ribs are down, whatever those top 10 things, you're already doing them. And she was like more of saying it from like, a, ugh, I'm not doing this right, this sucks. Um, and that to me just like it hurt because I was like, if somebody else is giving you critique, they have to start or finish with, hey, but by the way, your form is fucking awesome and you're doing amazing yeah. and it's really fucking good already, comma, but if you want to, and so just that part kills me. And then the, the second part is specifically about the glute bridge. Even Kaz himself would agree. The glute bridge is overrated for glutes. It is a short position exercise primarily. And it is, that is why it is beneficial because it is you know, sets itself apart by being a short position exercise from some of the stuff that we normally do for glutes, like presses, squats, split squats, all of that stuff, lunges. Um, but, you know, in the scheme of things, a glute bridge is not the best glute exercise. So just, it becomes something that so many people are so fucking technically obsessed with right now. And just laughably, it's not the best glute exercise by far. It's not in the, it's not in the top five, you know, um, because it's not working the length in position. And so I just find that part also a little bit funny. Oh yeah, man. It's, it's fascinating, isn't it? It's like, um, and I, I don't know what it is that takes certain exercises and blows them into like the forefront like that. Um, if it trains know, glutes, like, that's what, if it trains your <laughs> yeah, ass, that's true. what happens. Yeah. That's, yeah. Oh, man, yeah. like fucking sideways hack squats are fucking coming up next, aren't they? Uh, but um, yeah, I mean, look, like the, as you said, the, the Casbridge is, is an awesome exercise. Um, fantastic exercise uh but like you said you'd you'd probably if you had your checklist you'd be like okay well I'd, i'll probably maybe a trap bar rdl might be number one and then i might go like a feet slightly high leg press where i can have that 90 degree angle and again get the length of position more things you can kind of play around with there too it's like do we want you know a pause at the bottom do i want a quarter rep at the bottom potentially as well something different there you know you got split spots for unilateral work um you know and to be honest as well, I know it, it's copying a lot of hate for some reason these days, but a regular hip thrust is just as good of an exercise to have in your arsenal for that specific job of training the short position. No. Okay. You do get more momentum. It is more of a sort of swing, if you will, like more momentum out of the bottom. And if you come to the floor, yes, more cords and adductors, but you know, it's still a way of training that pattern that is a viable option to use in your program. Um, and if someone comes to you and says, Hey, I want glutes, but I also want a lot of quad work. You might go, I don't want to do too much direct quad work because I don't want to throw out any imbalances or anything, but you know, I could just use a normal hip thrust where I can get a best of all worlds sort of thing. So yeah, it is funny. Um, and it is funny that it's kind of this like 
new way of doing it, I guess, for people, you know, maybe they've done glute bridges off the floor and maybe they've done hip thrust, but they've never done a glute bridge in hip thrust position. So they're like, let's do that. Um, you know, iliac pull down, I think is another one that's kind of been, you know, like, I think it's a fantastic exercise, but I think people just kind of go, you know, okay, I want to do the chest supported one. Then I want to do chest supported single up. Then I want to do leaning on the bench single up. Then I want to do half kneeling. Then I want to do it on a lap pull down where I can pull from a little bit higher. And then, oh, can I do a similar thing with a row? Um, you know, let's try that for a different part of the lat. It's just kind of like, well, how about you just pick one of these movements and do it for 24 weeks, you know, with some different rep ranges and some different tempos and get really good at it. And then sort of see, see where you end up rather than being like, I want to do all seven of these in the next three months. Um, but like you said, it's the excitement factor, right? New is sexy. And, um, you know, sometimes, sometimes that can be a benefit too, because sometimes if you've got a client, for example, who's been, you know, doing the same thing for six months and they are just bored as shit, like with their program, they're kind of like, yeah, look, I'm not feeling this anymore. Then as long as you've got other things up your sleeve as a trainer or just as someone who writes your own programs to be able to throw in to make things a bit more interesting, then it can go that other way too. Yeah, when I, uh, so for one-on-one -on -one clients, every time their new program is up, we'll do a Zoom and we'll build their program together and they can get a peek inside what that process is like from my end. And I get really good in, you know, real-time feedback from them, you know, in that moment when we're building their program. And one of the, you know, I'll usually say, like, if someone asks me, how do we know when it's time to switch out an exercise? It's one of three reasons. One is you've stopped progressing. I think that's the biggest one. It's like, it's actually an exercise that you've, quote, adapted to, to a degree where progress has slowed down. That's number one. I mean, if performance is not going up, then it's probably time to change that. It's become like, quote, stale, let's say. Number two would be like if your joints are hurting doing this movement, if you have some contraindication pain-wise that we need to swap this out. And number three is, motherfucker, if you're just bored of doing this exercise or there is another exercise that you're just excited to do, that is a totally valid reason to implement that. I mean, it's, it's a contentious one just if you're looking for what's physiologically optimal, then you can have that discussion of like, okay, maybe this isn't the best swap. But man, for 99% of people, myself included, I, I've actually recently in my, I don't know if this is me growing into like a wiser uh, old gentleman here, but I'm way more, like I'm finding out exercises that really either fit my structure, quote unquote, or things that I just get really locked in and dialed into. And when I pick those exercises, instead of like what is like externally, I'm not saying I forget about what's physiologically optimal. I'm I'm thinking about that too. But when I'm when I look at my program and it's full of stuff that I know I execute well and that I'm dialed into, it makes me way more motivated to train. Like I just, I told my girlfriend, I was like, when I just pick like four movements, four or five movements that I know that I'm dialed into, the workout is always awesome. It's great. And so this idea of like, what do I just like, like doing needs to be that needs to be in there when you're doing that programming process. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's the, that's one of the perks of doing your own programming, right? Like you, nobody knows you better than you know yourself you know, um, and that's where for, you know, any of your clients listening to this, any of my clients listening to this, any future clients, you know, that's where when you have a coach, it's very important to have that open dialogue as well. And to remember that, like, you know, me and Jordan, we're both big boys. Like we can take it. Like if somebody comes to me and goes like, you know, I don't like this in my program, it doesn't feel good. And I've looked at their technique and their technique looks fine. And it's just a matter of them being like, this movement to me just feels unnatural. Um, you know, bench press to me is one of those things. Like, you know, Mark has a big like functional hypertrophy 
um, sort of approach, which I absolutely love because I get to push some numbers while still putting on a bit of size. It's great. I don't have to always just do machines and cables and stuff, but the options are always there as well. Um, but bench press for me just feels really unnatural. Years of cricket and guitar and stuff, my right side is slightly like just wing scapula, a little bit internally rotated. And every time I press with a bar, I just feel like I get all weird and kind of rotate and stuff. Um, so it just feels odd for me. But then, you know, dumbbell press, machine press, all that sort of stuff feels great. So yeah, 100%, it's about finding those, those movements that do work for you. Um, but I also do think sometimes it's also um, that case of, allowing movements to feel a bit more natural as well by fixing setups and stuff. But a hundred percent, if you, if your setup is a hundred percent, right. You know, if you've lined everything up perfectly to a T and you know, you just can't progress or it just feels wrong or just, you just can't get the hang of it. Then hundred percent, like there's no, there's no completely necessary movements for any muscle group. Yep. I also think that uh, when we're looking at this, like perfectionist mindset, tempo is another thing that I find to be another moment where I'm like, okay, like chill, like, it's, it's good, you know, and I'll put like my base tempo will be, I mean, if we just look at what the research says for hypertrophy, something like a two to four second eccentric in that range, probably gonna be better than a one or five second or a zero or five second eccentric, right? So we have this like two to four yeah. second eccentric, which could roughly just like verbally translate to, hey, control the eccentric. Um, and then we see yeah. that generally we want forceful concentrics. So something like a one, uh, one count tempo. And so like when I program like a 3010, which would be roughly translated to like three seconds on the way down for an RDL, zero second pause, one second on the way up, which is like a forceful stand up, and then no second pause at the top. I'll get people that are like, oh, my tempo's not right, it sucks, it's terrible, and I'll read that little blurb, and then I'll click on the video, and I'm like, their tempo's fine, maybe it's like two and a half seconds. It's like, you yeah. know, I wrote three for a reason. Let's say I wrote three seconds, okay, I wrote it. My intent was for you to do three seconds, but I don't want these sort of like, just remember, you wouldn't let something this small bother you in other aspects of life. You know, if your uh, if your shoes were tied like slightly less perfectly, like it wouldn't bother you, and I just wanna make sure people are out there are like, yes, I wrote a three second decentric, but if it's two point four seconds, if it's two seconds, if it's four seconds, it's still really freaking good. Uh, and so as long as we understand where in the hierarchy these things fit, like you can still enjoy yourself while working on these sorts of things. Well, absolutely. I think, you know, tempo for me, I use tempo more as a uh, technique thing. So really like, yes, I will periodize, like say a, a say I've got a client who I'm trying to periodize their squat over 12 weeks. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I might start with pause reps. So I might start with a two, two, one, zero tempo. So a two second eccentric, two second pause, strong concentric, then just enough time at the top to take a deep breath and brace before we go again. And then I might go into the next phase and go, okay, well now that we've developed that kind of explosive power out of the bottom from a dead stop, now let's take that pause away, but we're gonna control that eccentric to make sure that we've got tightness all the way down, not just in the hole. And then maybe, you know, I might go from that into possibly even like a one and a quarter rep phase or something like that to really make use of the stretch reflex. And then we come around to like that phase four where we can just go, all right, like, screw it. You've, you've really now, we've had like 12 weeks where, you know, I'm really stressing your technique in different parts of the movement and in different ways to almost kind of find where your technique breaks down, almost kind of trigger that um, in a way. Um, and kind of consolidate all those parts of the movement. And then by, you know, phase four, yeah, cool. cool. We can go and like push some big numbers because now we're locked in. We're, we've done 12 weeks of these horrible grinding things. Um, but 
Yeah, like it doesn't, I do think it is a little bit of an overrated thing for hypertrophy at times, just because I see people doing all this like massive tempo manipulation where they're like, has to be a certain amount of seconds, has to be this, has to correspond to time under tension like this, has to be this, has to be that. But, you know, then I'm just sitting there thinking, well, you know, for example, let's say we've got a cable drag curl, use that example because I was doing them today and they're one of those exercises that for me just feels awesome. Um, and I, I might see a coach uh, put a two zero one two, so a two second hold in the squeeze, and I'm kind of like, well, tension in that movement is going to be most significant, more so towards that kind of mid to lengthened range. So, yes, you've added time under tension, but how significant was that tension that you've added in there? What was the reason behind that? If you want to have that tension, why not put it at the other end of the movement instead? Um, yes, okay, your client's going to be able to probably use less load because you're now making them spend more time where it's harder. But isn't that then the point of having the tempo and the time under tension is having it in that significant portion of the movement. So um, yeah, like I personally love tempo. I program with it a lot, but I do subscribe to the fact that it has to be there for a reason. And it also doesn't always have to be there. Like you said, you know, there's nothing wrong with doing a movement with a controlled two second eccentric and a strong concentric, especially if you're doing eight, 10, 12, 15, 20 fucking reps. Nobody wants to be sitting there going one, two, three, four, for 20 reps, man. Like, come on, my mental fatigue would give in before my physical fatigue does. True that. Yeah, let's talk about the good. Uh, I think that it's like we've we both spent enough time venting about like wanting to add context <laughs> and making sure people don't you know get so type A that they don't have fun. Um, let's talk about the good. What are some of the things that when we talk about technique, exercise selection, biomechanics, all this stuff? What are some things that actually do make a big difference? You think to people to your own training um, that are worth working on improving? That like actually you're like, hey, this is like I'm happy that we're working on this sort of thing. Could be a mindset, could be a specific exercise, and yeah, we'll go back and forth with a few. Um, all right, well, I'm gonna. I like the use of mindset there because that's actually something that I've been really enjoying seeing a lot of a lot more content about lately from creators and stuff. And that's that mindset of you know getting into a set and just thinking to yourself, "I got this." Like I have got this. You know, putting aside everything else, putting aside like you know having to have completely optimal technique, putting aside where are our resistance profiles in our workout, well, like what part of the strength code, you know just getting into a set and having a positive mind frame about the exercise you're doing and about that set and about crushing that weight and about like absolutely just, you know, especially if it's a PB or something like that. I think that's so important. And I'm really liking seeing this now, like kind of positive, um, you know, very much like affirmation based mindset. Cause I think there was a lot of stuff that went around TikTok last year, especially on kind of like, you know, failing lifts and lots of memes around failing lifts and that. Um, whereas now there seems to be like a lot more content coming out, being pushing like, you know, positivity around setting PBs and hitting big lifts and all that sort of stuff. And, um, you know, I don't know if, if you've seen as much of it as I have, but, um, yeah, like I'm really loving that. Like I'm really loving the idea of, you know, telling people, you know, get ready for a lift, like listen to some heavy music, listen to some stuff you love, pump yourself up and just get under that bar and just like crush it. I love that. That's awesome. It's funny. I don't know if we use PB in America. We say like PR. I don't know if that's actually, I might be not oh, true, yeah, yeah. but like, no, no, I just heard that. I'm like, people are like, are these fucking talking about peanut butter? And these guys getting, <laughs> it's like getting pumped up to get this jar of peanut butter. No, but okay. Yeah. Um, no, I love that one. And I'm pretty pumped up for peanut butter. Oh, hundred <laughs> percent. I'm pretty pumped up. Most of, most of my answers that I made a couple notes for were actually not like, Hey, this arm path for Ilya Glatz has changed the world. Most of them were more vague, more mindset-based, kind of like yours. I think that one of the things that's changed maybe how I coach and hopefully how my clients enjoy their training is understanding that how different movements will work 
or look different for different people. And so understanding that like, you know, you have long femur, short tibia, short torso, you know, it's gonna look different than if you had a different ratio of those limbs, limb lengths. And so understanding that like when we're talking about a glute emphasis squat, that your glute emphasis squat and somebody else's glute emphasis squat won't look the same. Your quad emphasis squat, your, and under, and for me being able to communicate that to people has been massively helpful because otherwise you get into this like, this is this box of this is what it's supposed to look like. And then when it doesn't look like that, I mean, if you have a long torso and a long femur, guess what? All of your squats are gonna be glute dominant. You are hinging at the hip and your, your, your glutes are just gonna have to travel further back because of how long that femur, how long your torso. But you can still do your best by elevating your heels, letting your knees drive forward and relatively for you staying relatively upright and we can get a little bit more quad. But I, I, I just think of a couple of people in my group who got into this like real real like analysis paralysis of my my squat doesn't, and because we post, when you post your form videos, they all go to like, let's say the same running chat. And so people watch other people's form video, which I think could be massively helpful because you could see what I'm saying to them and you can watch kind of from, from the outside, which is awesome. Some people don't feel super comfortable sending form videos, most people do, but if you don't and you can watch other people's, it's still helpful. But it's understanding that like the cue that Jordan's giving here might not be exactly or the end result of what this person's, right now we're doing front heel elevated, rear foot elevated split squat. And so that exercise really lengthens the back leg rec fem. Like that is one of the main points of the reason we are doing it. Our setup is with a little bit more of an upright torso um, and probably not as much front knee flexion so that we can really get that, that, that full lengthening in that rec fem, stay in complete yeah, cool. hip extension. And that's cool, but like, that requires actually a, a decent amount of strength and quote mobility, flexibility in those hip flexors, in that rec fem. And so not everybody's technique is gonna look exactly the same. And I think for me, this knowledge has at least helped other people enjoy it more because I've understood more that, that it's not all gonna look exactly the same for everybody. Yeah, I love that. I love that and I agree wholeheartedly. And that actually like one of the other things that I wrote down for this one, uh, you know, when you sent me the questions beforehand was that, um, you know, to kind of like carry that on is the use of other equipment, right? So, you know, being able to use heel wedges, even though somebody else might not need it, right? So for example, myself, I've got shit ass ankle dorsiflexion, um, always have done the very, very tight right one, especially, um, Again, I think it comes from cricket when I was younger. So I use a lot of wedges because it really helps me get that knee flexion and there is nothing wrong with that. You know, things like safety bars and things like trap bars and stuff and understanding that just because one person loves a conventional deadlift or one person loves a conventional RDL doesn't mean that you have to and doesn't mean that you have to do that. It might be that a trap bar works for you better because, you know, you can't get yourself into that position. Or, you know, if a client comes to me with some, like issues in their shoulder and they're like, I just can't squat. I really want to squat, but I can't It's like, well, okay, well, let's get under the safety bar. There's nothing wrong with the safety bar. You know, the name kind of sounds a little bit lame, like the safety bar, like I want the danger bar, but you know, it's like, you know, it's just as good an option, if not better for some people, you know, personally, I love the safety bar. I use it a lot for my squats now, rather than having to be in that locked back position. I don't really like it as much. Um, so, I definitely agree with that. I think, you know, everybody has their their own variations that need to be adhered to and stuff. And I actually posted about this today. It's one of those things that I changed my mind on as a coach over the years is, you know, squat, bench and deadlift. 
you know, we, we don't all need to be doing that with a barbell in, you know, power lifter conditions and all that sort of stuff, right? You know, there's always going to be a variation of that movement pattern that's going to work best for someone else, um, dependent on goal, dependent on who the person is, dependent on where they're at with their training, depending on, you know, even just like, as you said, their movement mechanics, like some people are just going to be better suited to different variations. And that is fine. In fact, that's really cool. It makes us all unique. So yeah, I love that. Yeah, and that that blends in well with the one I was going to say, which was like being. It's funny because that we learn all, all about what what is optimal. You could look at a program and you could say, okay, is this optimal for hypertrophy? Is a, is a conventional deadlift optimal for hypertrophy? And and you could look at any program in any context and and make critique. You could, but actually, one of the tools that it's given me is actually to be able to do things that are quote let's say suboptimal for hypertrophy. Most of the people listening to this are interested in hypertrophy. You can actually do things that are suboptimal for hypertrophy, but because you as the coach are knowledgeable about the downsides of certain things that you can then complement the program with things that kind of make up for that. So you mentioned face exactly. pulls. You mentioned face pulls. I don't think face pulls are the world's greatest uh, rear delt exercise for hypertrophy. They're not. They're also not the world's greatest upper back exercise for hypertrophy. But you mentioned external rotators. And you might say, you know what? In this block, I really want that to be something that we are working on. So we're gonna put face pulls in. But I also know, hey, maybe we wanna complement this with something more direct for rear delt, something more direct for upper back. And so maybe there are clients who wanna do conventional deadlifts. You explain to them, hey guys, you know, this is like, you know, this is a little bit, uh, not a great SFR, not a good stimulus to fatigue rate. You can explain that till you're blue in the face, they wanna do deadlifts. So you might say, okay, hmm. we're doing deadlifts, suboptimal in certain circumstances, might be a little bit less good, let's say for, um, biasing lengthened glutes, let's say, than if we did like a floating trap bar, you know, bent knee deadlift or something like that. And so you might now know, okay, I know how to complement this thing that has certain downsides with something that makes up for that. And so it's really like, it's funny because even though you, you learn, you're like, well, I'm just gonna use everything that's optimal. It actually allows you to then do things that are slightly suboptimal and make them not as bad because you know how to complement them. You know where they're not great. You know where their, their vacancies are and where you can fill that void. And so I found that myself like, I want to ask you a direct question of like, is there something in your program that you know for you, for your training that is suboptimal for hypertrophy that you like, or could arguably be suboptimal for hypertrophy that you're doing anyway, because fuck it, you like it. Um, and it's something that you're going to keep in your program. Um, to be honest, at the moment, no, <laughs> because unfortunately I don't write my own programs. Um, <laughs> well, would so, you say the bar, you your know, bar, your barbell benching right now. And so you could, yeah, you yeah, could, yeah, yeah. you could make it, you could make an argument that say barbell bench, you know, we're not getting that, that adduction. We're not training that function of the pecs basically nearly as much as if you were using dumbbells, you're probably not able to like get an optimal arm path to bias basically any part of the, of the pecs, but you might say, I fucking love doing it. And I have other pec exercises that complement the hell out yeah. of this. And well, that's. Yeah, that is true. Um, although you did say I have to like the exercise. <laughs> that's, fair, that's fair, that's fair, that's fair. <laughs> but um, no, for, for example, like one that I could give is pull-ups. Okay, so like Mark loves pull-ups. I, I fucking love pull-ups. Like pull-ups are like, probably pull-ups and dips are my two like favorite exercises to do for upper body. I just love it. I love the ability to do a bodyweight exercise and then just wrap a whole bunch of plates around my waist on a belt. Like it's just, there's no more badass feeling than that. Um, you know, uh, but a pull-up is probably... 
yeah, when you talk about like stimulus to fatigue ratio sure. and you talk yeah. about actually you could being get, a good hypertrophy yep. exercise, you could just do pull downs. Like you really could. There's, you could do so many better exercises for, you know, just straight hypertrophy, you know, just really like locking in that stimulus. But then also, you know, you could argue, you know, I love the functional hypertrophy side of things whereby you do push a bit more of a strength stimulus in your A series and you kind of periodize that over weeks. Um, and then all your accessories are more that sort of typical 8, 10, 12, 15 whatever sort of you know uh standard hypertrophy rep ranges and stuff if you will um but it's then that argument of kind of like as you said before filling in the gaps and it's like you know with the pull-ups okay that exercise in itself probably not going to be the most beneficial for hypertrophy directly but indirectly is that then going to improve my upper body pulling strength is it also going to improve my grip strength is it going to improve my ability to create stability you know, in a very unstable environment and, you know, potentially also increase my core strength. Yeah. It's probably going to tick a whole bunch of those other boxes too, which are then going to have carryover when I go and do movements in more stable environments whereby I don't have to recruit those stabilizing muscles. So I suppose as well, it's being able to have that trade-off sometimes and, you know, yeah, if a client wants to do a deadlift, it's like, that's probably, yeah, one of the, 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 the least bottom of the good. pile yeah, for, at least uh, good yeah, yeah you know, I, don't, I don't want to say like the worst yeah. but yeah it's like the you know it's down there um options for you know hypertrophy especially because you're probably looking at like really do you want to be doing more than five six reps at a time probably not is there any real time under tension probably not you know um however is it going to then potentially improve the lower body strength in other areas yeah possibly i mean if they get really good at that then there's going to be nothing to stop them getting really good at other hinging movements and potentially really good at glute bridges and stuff like that as well so yeah i mean it's, it's filling in those gaps and it's being able to kind of accept that sometimes you have to do something a little bit less optimal to be able to then bring up the more you know quote-unquote optimal parts of the program i suppose yeah and one you even just mentioned there was like you know if you were sticking to like the true a true n1 methodology you wouldn't mix rep ranges really you know you'd mix a little bit yeah. in there but they, there'd have to be good reason but you certainly wouldn't do uh power building you know what i mean that would go against yeah, exactly. you know and so exactly. but, but but power building might tick your boxes personally uh not you but one one's boxes for the balance of what they want which is not optimal hypertrophy which is like i want to i love deadlifting and i want to do squat bench dead but i also want that to not be the primary focus. And so there is some element of like in my group program where we're like, I'm trying to, you know, let's say I'm writing the program and I'm like, okay, what's the stimulus? We're going to work back from that. What's the rep range? What are our tools for achieving that stimulus? And then I'll be like, you know what? But like, maybe we're also going to do this uh, throw in a mile rep set or something like that, because that can be like emotionally mm -hmm. stimulative. That can be fun. It can be, you know, this sort of like burn and it doesn't deviate from hypertrophy. It's just slightly deviating from this perfect stimulus. And so I do think that there are times where, we're doing that and feeling totally fine with it and understanding that where that deviation falls in the hierarchy of what's important, which is like not very much. Um, we're coming up on yeah, a, we're coming up on an hour here. I want to be respectful of your time. It's fucking 11 o'clock over there. So like, <laughs> nah, you're good. You're good? You're okay. Good. Okay. We got a couple more minutes. Yeah, we're good. We're okay. Good. Yeah. Cool. 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 So, uh, all right, let's end with like, um, um, just understanding a little bit about kind of how let's give like a little summation of like how people can think about going about improving their technique and, and doing it in a positive mindset. Let's just close things down with that. Yeah. So I think, you know, as we said, kind of towards the start of the show, I think it's a, uh, it's approaching training as its own kind of anomaly. So it's kind of looking at whatever you're training for, whatever it is that you're currently pursuing is your fitness goal. You've got all your segments, right? You know, with your nutrition, you know, you've got that segment that's outside of the gym. 
potentially a little bit of intra workout nutrition if you have that as well. Um, but generally, that's outside of your gym. You've, you've kind of separated that from training. That's what's going to kind of help fuel your performance and potentially, you know, really be the driver for your body composition. You know, if you're eating too much and you want to lose fat, change that. If you're not eating enough and you want to gain muscle, change that sort of thing. You then got your sleep and your recovery. You know, you approach that as a separate aspect as well. You know, what are you doing to switch off? What are you doing to put yourself into a parasympathetic state after training? What are you doing to be able to get enough sleep? What are you supplementing with to make sure that you're recovering? You're not sore. You know, you're taking magnesium and things like this. Um, so I always think with training as well. It's kind of separating it from the rest and being like, when I go into the gym, the sole goal in there should be to have the best workout that I can possibly have. And, you know, even if you are someone who is emotionally attached to lifting a lot of weight, chances are that's going to happen more often and more consistently if you're doing it with really good technique, because good technique generally brings with it strength gains and ability in other areas. So I think if people are going to just go about trying to improve their technique and get better at lifting, that should just be the goal when you go into the gym and that should be a good goal. You know, that is a fun goal to chase, to be able to go in and go, I nailed that set, especially if you're someone who's been getting pain or if you've been having issues with certain lifts, like, you know, it's really good to be able to go in. If you've been getting back pain on squats for three months and all of a sudden you do a session of squats and you didn't get a single bit of back pain at all. And you come out of that feeling breezy. You went through every other exercise feeling great. You wake up the next morning and the only pain you've got is doms in your quads and your glutes. That and like fucking a that's amazing yeah i love that that's really great i have a more important question is that is liverpool going to do the quadruple (laughs) (laughs) Uh, look uh, no no we're not no we're not um i wish we would i wish we would obviously we've got one in the bag already i think we'd beat chelsea in the fa cup um which my brother's a chelsea fan so brings me brings me good drink um I also do think that we, you know, touch wood, got wood under this table here. Um, I do think that we do have a Villarreal in the semifinals. And then I do think that whoever we play in the final, um, there's just something about this football club in Champions League finals. And I do think that we take that one. However, I do think that City are not dropping a single point for the rest of the season. Unfortunately, they're going to be very, um, very worthy champions. But I think, unfortunately, they are going to be champions of the Premier League. So, yeah, three out of the four would be would be amazing. Um, yeah. Two out of the four would be freaking amazing. But, you know, yeah, maybe. Fingers crossed. Who knows? <laughs> I, uh, I think, I mean, you guys have the hardest game left this weekend. Uh, Tottenham would be the, the hardest game that either team has left. And Tottenham is like the only team. Honestly, Tottenham might be the, might be the hardest other game other than City, uh, for you guys, just the way they play, they're just like gonna sit. They're just gonna sit back and do what they try. They're gonna try and do what they did to City. They beat City twice doing it, and I think they're gonna just be like, "Hey, we're gonna sit back." And Kane and Son are gonna nick a goal at some point. So I'm, I'm, I, as an Arsenal fan, I need you guys to beat them. Um, I, yeah. you must beat them. If you don't, if they take a point, uh, we're screwed. Um, so you guys got to do that, and uh, definitely rooting for you guys. I think, I think it's actually gonna. We're gonna look back like 10, 15, 20 years from now, and. It's going to be underrated. I don't know when the last time we had two teams that were this good because if either team didn't exist, the other team would be talked about as like the greatest dynasty. We'd be talking about a 10-year dynasty. If, if Liverpool didn't become this good, Man City would have just been winning everything for a decade. Oh, yeah. And so if they didn't exist, then you would guys would have, I mean, you guys won, had like the most, the two most points ever in history a couple of years ago or last year or something like, or two years ago. Um, and, and yeah. you know, one team didn't win. And so that's just been like a crazy thought of mine. It's like one team didn't exist. You guys would be like uh, greatest team of all time, potentially. 
Yeah, well, my uh, roommate came in earlier today and he was like, or it was yesterday or something, and he was like, uh, Premier League table over the last five years. Um, and it was something like Man City, 346 points, Liverpool, 345. And yeah. then third best was Chelsea on 260 or something like yeah. that. It's just, you know, that's insane. For those of you who don't follow soccer, that's like a 23-win difference over the course of that. Like, that, you know, that's four wins a season, which yeah. on average, these good teams lose like, you know, maybe four or five games a season. Like it's, yeah, it's insane. It's, um, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's good fun to be a part of as a Liverpool fan. Um, but at the same time, you do kind of wish City didn't exist yeah, just because totally. then we'd have a few more trophies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. it is what yeah, it yeah. is, right? <laughs> yeah. I was also laughing as you were saying that you were studying music and I'm like, uh, there's just like that, uh, that I was going to say meme of like, um, the guy who plays guitar and then he's always like, ah, oh, it's like in the background. You're like, I'll grab it. You know, I'll play you guys something. Like I thought for sure, like it would be in the background and you'd be like, oh, you know, if you want me to play something, you know, I can, it's definitely sitting. Oh uh, man, if you want I to knew it, I, I can, fucking knew it. Dude, that's hysterical, <laughs> I fucking knew it. I was like, should I ask him to play something? No, we're good, man. I appreciate you coming on. Go get some sleep. Tell everybody where that can find you. If they don't follow you, they absolutely should. Now, I appreciate you having me, man. Thank you very much. If you guys want to follow me, if anything I've said has kind of resonated, um, apologies for sounding very much half asleep. Um, but my Instagram handle is just Jack Hallows Fitness, J-C-K-H-A-L-L-O-W-S Fitness. Um, and you can also find me at the Atlas website. Um, I'll give Jordan a link to post that in the uh, Spotify bio or something like that. Um, but yeah, main place to find me is Instagram. Um, I do post some good stuff that's helpful some of the time. And I like to post a lot of memes on my stories. So if you like laughs and good content, then come on over. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Where Optimal Meets Practical. If you liked the episode, it would mean the world to me if you posted a screenshot to your social media or left a five-star review on iTunes. That stuff really helps. If you ever want to get in touch with me, just shoot me a DM on Instagram, at Jordan Lips Fitness. I'm always around to chat. Thanks, guys. Have a good one.